Revelation chapter 2. We're going to pick up today looking at verses 8 through 11 as we look at the seven churches. And uh, each of these churches, the Lord gives a revelation of himself. He directs it to the angel or the word angel can also be messenger. So it could refer to the pastor of the church. He tells them and he knows about their situation. Then he gives them a commendation of things they're doing right, except for the church of Laodicea, the final church. And then he gives letters of correction, except to two churches. And the one we're going to look at this morning, the church of Smyrna, also the church of Philadelphia, he had no correction for them. And then he gives the final exhortation to listen, to hear what God's spirit is saying and that he who overcomes, the reward will be well, well worth it. I do find it interesting in 1 Samuel 3, when Eli was a wicked priest, his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were wicked as well. And little tiny Samuel came into the temple, and God was speaking. And nobody heard it but that little child. And it says this in 1 Samuel 3, it says, Before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, that God spoke to Samuel before the lamp went out. It's interesting because here the Lord threatens that I'm going to take away the candlestick. I'm going to take away the lamp if you don't repent and do it quickly and zealously. And boy, we see where the lamp went out in Israel. And so this morning, we look at verse 8 through 11. It reads this way. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who is dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until the end and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Smyrna today, interesting enough, is the only one of the seven churches that remained in existence. And because of that, there's not a lot of archaeological Uh, surveying that can be done because it's always remained as a city and evolved throughout the centuries. Smyrna is only mentioned here uh, and this location in the Bible, nowhere else. And uh, we see the modern map of today. And uh, you can see in the bottom left corner of the map, (laughs) right about here. There it is. Um, You see Ephesus, 40 miles northwest is Ishmer. That's modern day, uh, which once was Smyrna. It's modern day Ishmer today. Uh, They're on the Aegean Sea of the coast of Turkey. Today it's the wealthiest and the largest city in Turkey. During the times in which this letter was written, uh, it was the second wealthiest city next to Ephesus, and it was called the Ornament of Asia. Absolutely beautiful, with a beautiful harbor. And uh, then the foothills coming up at the top of the Mount Pegas, which was covered with temples. And below was a road going around it that looked as if it had a gold ring all the way around Mount Pegas. 
in 26 AD, they built one particular temple to the worship of Caesar. And it became one of the focal points of the Roman Empire in which they would go to worship Caesar. And uh, interesting, the name Smyrna comes from myrrh, the frankincense of, or the uh, spice of myrrh. Myrrh comes from Arabia or Ethiopia. It comes from a tree that, or a shrub that is taken and it's crushed. And through the crushing process, it gives off this beautiful perfume. Interesting enough, it's also used not just as an expensive perfume, but also as an embalming fluid. And uh, which is interesting because at Christ's birth, they brought gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh. Gold representing he was king. Frankincense, that's what the priests use in the giving the sacrifices. We've been studying through Leviticus, we see that. And then myrrh, speaking of his death. Interesting, in Mark 15, they had a mixture of some wine and some myrrh that they gave to Jesus to deaden the pain. And then we also see that it was myrrh was the uh, spice that was used in his burial. But I find it fitting here because the church was a church that was going to be crushed, smashed. And as it was crushed, a beautiful incense would be given out. And so um, you can look here at the, a few of the pictures that we have on Smyrna, there's not a lot of them, simply because, uh, again, it never really stopped existing as a city. Here's the modern-day harbor of uh, Smyrna, or Ishmer today. There's one of the old roads. And then you have uh, an aqueduct system. And then there's some pictures of what was like their mall, underground, then above ground, the Agora. And let's just go ahead and look at those. There's the above ground agora and then the cisterns. And that's about all there is to see at Smyrna as you travel there today. Well, it says in verse 8, to the angel or the messenger of the church of Smyrna, these things says the first and the last who is dead and came to life. So as the Lord takes from chapter 1 and presents an aspect of his Nature that was revealed in this revelation to John, they're fitting for where the church is at. Remember, this is a church in incredible persecution, incredible difficulty. And God comes on the scene saying, I'm the first and I'm the last. I know. I know about when it's starting. I know when it's going to end. I know the beginning of your life, the end of your life. I know every hair upon your head. I know what you're going through. It's interesting as you look at the references in the Old Testament to God concerning calling him the first and the last. For example, in Isaiah 41.4, it says, Who has performed and done it, calling the generation from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. And so even here, he describes himself as the one who knows the beginning and the one who knows the end. And he says here, I know it because I'm the first and last. Who else can do that? Nobody else can do that unless you're the eternal one. And of course, it was so fitting because in verse 10, he said, you're about to suffer. You're about to be put in prison. You're about to go through some radical tribulations and even to die. And so I was the one also, who was dead and came to life. In John 14, Jesus says, 
Because I live, you will live also. In John 11, he said, I am the resurrection life. He believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So here he's saying, I am like you. I I know what you're going through because I've been through what you're going through. So often we think that God would deliver us no matter what the circumstance. But that's just not the case. In many cases, it's God's will to go through the difficulty, through the tribulation, even unto death. Looking outwardly from an earth's perspective as if you end in defeat. Look at Jesus. (laughs) There he was. Obviously, God isn't with him because he's being tortured. Obviously, he doesn't have great power. He's being crucified. And then he finally dies with a couple of criminals on each side. End of story. Or is it the end of story? We know the end of the story. He raised again from the dead. It's not the end of the story. And so he's saying, even though you may die, really, it's just the very beginning. Because to be absent from the body is what? It's to be present with the Lord. And here he says in verse 9, I know your works. I know. I know really what is going on with you. It's interesting, many will come on that day with their package that they presented to others that others have believed. But it's sort of like God's going to believe it too. Heaven is shut up to them and and. and they say, but Lord, Lord, open unto us. We listened to you preach. We ate with you. I've never known you. Go away. Oh, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. The Lord said, you did your will. You did what you want. Be gone, you doers of iniquity, into everlasting damnation. God sees right through the fog, and he looks right through the outward man into the heart. God knows your works, not what you think others think, but God really knows. And in this case, he knows of their tribulation. So there in Smyrna was a temple to Caesar. They didn't care if you worshiped other gods. Matter of fact, they didn't care if you worshiped another thousand gods. As long as you worship Caesar as the supreme God, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the number one God, then you could go off and worship your other gods. And you could imagine the difficulty that would cause for the Christians. A matter of fact, in 95 AD, all the way through 313 AD, when they demanded Caesar worship, they estimate, Fox's Book of Martyrs estimates around 6 million Christians were put to death because they wouldn't lay incense upon the altar in the temple of Caesar. And not only that, but among the Jews, he says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The word Jew literally means to praise. And so it's sort of a play on words here. Those who say they are living to the praise of God, but really when they get together, it's a group of people that are Demonically inspired. Again, the Jews did not receive Jesus as the Messiah. And they took great offense that the Christians used the Jewish Bible. And through the centuries, uh, there have been cases. And, of course, you can start in the book of Acts and work your way right on through. Where the Jews were opposed to Christianity. Taking them and killing them and putting them to death. And this was the case there in Smyrna. Jesus told about this in John 15, verse 18. 
He says, the world hates you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And then in John 16, he says, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming when they'll kill you thinking they offer God's service. So he says they're going to put you out of the synagogues. They're even going to kill you thinking they're doing God's service as if that was God's plan, God's desire that they would uh, kill them, appeasing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is absolutely ridiculous. So he says, I know your persecution coming from the pagans, and I know the persecution coming from the Jews that you're suffering there in Smyrna, and I know your poverty, which is rather interesting, because Smyrna had the best, second best economy next to Ephesus in Asia Minor at that time. So the Christians there were around incredible wealth, but yet they themselves were in poverty. Why? Probably because they didn't want a Christian working for them. They wouldn't let them into their schools. They wouldn't train them. They wouldn't buy their goods. Guys, you got to understand something. And, And we live in America in a very small percentage of our planet that has freedom of religion. Do you realize the voice of the martyrs makes note that in the world today, that one third of all Christians worship Jesus underground in secret? Right now, we're not talking about a few thousand. We're talking millions, tens of millions of Christians have to hide the fact that they're worshiping God. And if they get caught, we're talking severe punishment. You know, when the Iron Curtain came down and we finally got in to the Soviet Union and got access to the KGB files, we knew that there had been thousands of Christians killed, but they had no idea it was millions of Christians that were killed and imprisoned and tortured. Right now, as we sit here this morning, horrendous things are happening around the world. Uh, You know, the problems that have been going on in Chechnya, which finally has come to the news. I was at a missions conference this last January, and there was a couple, and here they are finally approaching their retirement years, are going to kick back, and they found out about the difficulties of how many orphans, because there's such a, a war going on. There's all of these kids that are orphaned. And so this couple from Calvary Chapel, they went to Chechnya and started an orphanage. You got to understand, they got to sneak into the country Their life is in danger every moment they're in the country or their life uh, is in the danger of being kidnapped to try to get a ransom. They gather money. They gather medical supplies. They gather what they can. They sneak into the country. They have to move around while they're there hiding. Then they sneak out and then they sneak back in and thousands of dollars just to get in and thousands to get out trying just to help the orphans of that place. Uh, The Muslim presence there as well as just the criminal presence that's there in that area. They're continually under attack. There's another group from Calvary, and again, I can't give you too many specifics, but it's a group of businessmen that have got together, and they give money 
to a group of guys that go into Sudan and they buy thousands of slaves. The Muslims go into the villages and they kill all the men and women and the teenagers, but people around 12 all the way under, they'll keep them and sell them usually into Asia somewhere as prostitutes. And there's a big market of thousands and thousands of these Sudanians and from other countries around there being taken to be sexual slaves at three years old, four years old and up. It's sick. But these group of Christians go in and they buy all of these people that are being sold as slaves and they take them and they uh, take them to a place of freedom. And again, I can't give a lot of details. Simply because they will not bow their knee to Allah and they're going to stand for Christ. And so we got to realize what we're experiencing is not the norm in the world. What we're experiencing is is freedom. But yet, at this time, the least thing they were experiencing was poverty because they wouldn't, couldn't get a job, couldn't sell their goods, couldn't get educated. And that's very much in the world today. I was talking to a, a gentleman a while back who was explaining about a friend of his that went to Utah to start a, a business and have a business there. And as soon as it was found out that he wasn't Mormon, that the community got out and they made sure that, that nobody bought or helped him in any way, shape, or form. And if they found out that they did, then that Mormon got in trouble for for helping him until finally they ran him out of business. So uh, even today, in many parts of the world, whether it's Buddhism or Tao or Hinduism, in parts of the world where you don't obey their God or submit to their God, poverty will be your end. But the Lord said, you know, it's just an earthly poverty. Heavenly, you guys are rich. So I can't really say you're poor because I'm from a heavenly perspective looking at you and I look at your incredible wealth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, to this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. We labor working with their hands, being revilely blessed, being persecuted, we endure it. And he goes on. He says of the church in Macedonia, He says, in the great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. Interesting. They were in affliction. They were in poverty. But they also had an abundance of joy. You know, there is a story of Corey Timboom, who became famous for hiding Jews during the Holocaust time. And she's gone to be with the Lord, but... As a small girl, she tells a story where she said to her dad one day as they were going on a trip, I'm afraid to die. And it's wrong because I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be afraid to die, but I am. And her dad asked her, he says, when we go to get on the train, when do I give you the ticket? And she says, right before we board. And he said, so will your heavenly father give you the grace to endure whatever you need to endure when that time comes. Until then, you don't have to fear that. And notice in verse 10, he says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. You know, it's so funny today. Because many pastors go to these seminars on church growth. And they are taught 
that what a, people in the world want to hear today, if you want non-Christians to come to your church to hear the gospel, whatever, you've got to be positive. You can't mention sin. You can't mention the devil. You can't mention hell. You can't mention suffering. You know, you've got to have a five-week series on how to be prosperous, four weeks how to be a good employee, ten weeks on how to be a good family man. And, and, and you know, all things are true, and, and they're also in the Bible. But leave out all of the negative stuff of the Bible. Well, I guess Jesus didn't attend that seminar. <laughs> he says, you guys are going to suffer. You guys are going to go through difficulties, hardships, Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. Boy, I don't understand why the Lord allows what he does. And I could go off and teach a whole message on this. Why a God allows difficulty to come upon believers or innocent. Why small children suffer evil. There's a whole, I have a whole message on that, the problem of evil. And I'm not going to go into that today. But we do know that God turns all things around for good. We don't see it, we don't feel it, but we know that God turns all things around for good, whether we see it on this planet or see it in heaven, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he's going to let them know. And you remember the story of Job, where all of a sudden he wakes up one morning and everything's falling apart. He's the wealthiest man in the world. Things are going great for him. He finds out uh, the house collapsed, killed all his kids. Right after that, one servant after the next comes in and says, man, somebody stole this. Fire came out of heaven and blew up all of this. You you don't have anything left. Now, we know from hindsight 2020, from the biblical point of view, it was Satan attacking him, trying to get him to denounce God. But Job said, hey, naked I came in this world, naked I go out, praise be the name of the Lord. He would not fault God. And then he comes back and he says, well, Physically, he would be in, if he was in pain, he would denounce you in a moment. So boils all over his body from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And, and there he's in incredible agony. His wife comes out and says, man, all of this kind of bad stuff doesn't happen at once. Just curse God and let him finish you off. And Job says, is it right that we would only be followers and believers in God when things are good? Would we not also be followers and believers of God when things are evil? And things are difficult against us. And in all of these things, he did not act foolishly or curse God. And so for God's own divine reasons, he allows Satan to be the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air for a season. Eventually, as we're going to get to the end of the book of Revelation, we're going to get to see the end of the devil. And it isn't good. And he's fighting it. uh, Even as we sit here this morning, he's fighting it. And he says, and you're going to be tested. And you're going to have tribulation for 10 days, but be faithful till death, and I'll give you the crown. I am sure the Apostle John, as he is pinning this letter by the revelation of Jesus, there in 95 AD, 96 AD, as he's writing this letter, had no idea that a young man who was his final disciple by the name of of Polycarp, who happened to be the pastor at Smyrna, that on April 23rd, 155 AD, over 60 years from this time of this letter, would be summoned before the council there in Smyrna. 
And there in the great amphitheater that seated about 20,000 in the arena, he was commanded to burn incense unto Caesar. He refused. He was told that if he didn't do it, that he would be killed. And he says this. Polycarp said, Eighty-six years I have served him, and he never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? He said, I'm going to bring on the beast. Polycarp stood his ground and says, what are you waiting for? Do whatever you please. He said, well, I'll burn you in the fire. Polycarp answered, you threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and afterwards is, is, is extinguished. But it's you who have to face the fires of judgment that will burn for eternity unless you repent. He pleaded with the governor to give him one hour to tell him why he was a Christian. The crowd began to get in a flurry. They began to gather wood. They began to put it into a pile. And there they began to stake through, with nails and, and ties Polycarp in the midst of the bundle that was going to be set on fire. And he says, no need. Leave me as I am. For he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me, will remain in the flames and unmoved, even without security, you will give by the nails. He says, there's no need for to nail me here. The same God that's caused me to stand these 86 years will give me the grace to stand even in the midst of this fire. And Polycarp, as the fire began to blaze, he began to pray, I thank you, Lord, that you've graciously thought me worthy of this day and this hour that I may be part of the number of martyrs to die for Christ. The fire began to dance around him, but wasn't burning him. With that, the centurion was upset and he thrust his spear through the flames and it hit Polycarp. The blood began to drain out of him and it put out the fire. With this, he pleaded again, simply put some ashes and even now we'll release you. He refused. They burnt his body. His disciples gathered what was left and gave him a Christian burial. Don't be afraid. But you're going to suffer. You know, as you look through from the day number one of the church, persecution was the norm. There in Acts chapter 4, the people of Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, got the disciples and said, Don't talk about this Jesus guy anymore. They went out and talked about him some more. They beat them. It says there in Acts 4, they went out rejoicing, or Acts chapter 5, they went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. After that, Stephen was taken, again, before the Jewish council, he was rushed out and stoned to death, the first Christian martyr. In Acts chapter 8, it says, And Saul made havoc on the church, entering their houses and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. How would you guys stand as Christians today if all of a sudden the secret police come in and grab your wife by the hair and start dragging her out and throwing her in to the back of a police car to take her off. You see, we often here in America have a mentality 
that I'm a Christian because it cost me nothing to be a Christian. And we often want a Christianity that has no cross. But Jesus stopped the multitude and said, unless you're willing to deny me daily and take up that cross and follow me, you can't be a follower of mine. We look at again throughout the world and the difficulties that people go through to be Christians. It's amazing when we realize how little we're willing to endure. Well, if I've got to walk that far from the parking lot into the church, forget it. It's too far. It's too hot or too cold. I've had to endure the persecution of the two and three-year-old class. Sunday school today, it was horrible. I can't remain a Christian. In December of this year, a 14-year-old girl in Pakistan was kidnapped by several men. She was raped, and she was then forced to marry a Muslim man. This often happens, according to the International Christian Concern, located in Washington, D.C. It's often that young Pakistani girls, or Christian girls, in that area of the world, are often abducted, raped, forced to marry Muslim men. The man who had done this to this girl was around taunting her family. And he said, a beautiful girl should not remain a Christian in these part of the world. With this, he took, knowing who the man was now, he took it to the police. And the police said, we cannot help uh, out this girl because we're not to interfere in what a man does with his wife. In May of this year is when it was reported that on April 17th, a 19-year-old Christian boy, and again, I wish I could announce, uh, enunciate these names for you, but I, I can't, and, and the names are here. He was taken and he was tortured for five days and five nights to deny his Christian faith and embrace Islam. Well, after five days, on April 26, these same people that beat him took him to the police and said, this man is a thief. They quickly called the family because the young boy was dying. He was put into the hospital, and there his body began to dwindle away until his kidneys failed. At 2 a.m. on May 2nd of this year, that young boy died. It may not be long until the freedoms we know are gone. Right now, sitting on the desk of Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governator, is a bill, SB 1234, called the Hate Crimes Legislation. And this bill basically says a number of issues, but in particular on homosexuality, if you, anywhere you are, speak against homosexuality, you can be imprisoned up to six months, fine $25,000. Whether it's a pastor in his church or whether it's you in your own home telling your kids. That's on his desk right now, put there by Gray Davis. But nevertheless, he has to veto that. and He hasn't done that yet. This is the same bill that was passed last year in Canada. I was uh, speaking to a group of Canadian pastors at the last pastor's conference saying, what are you guys going to do now? that this is the case. And they said, we're teaching through the whole Bible, so as soon as we get through Romans 1, we're probably going to get put in jail, probably lose our church, lose our nonprofit status. 
it's, it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. We're going to preach the whole gospel and we're going to suffer for it. And that's the case right now in Canada, right next door to us. Not some third world country. We're talking right next door a few miles away. That is the case right now. James Dobson, who had a series right after that bill was passed, had already had a series lined up on homosexuality on his radio program. And he was told that if he aired that, he would never be on the radio in Canada again. He didn't air it. But uh, nevertheless, we see throughout the book of Acts, this is the case. Stephen was stoned. Paul persecuting the church. It says that Paul breathing out threats and murder against the disciples. Chapter 12, James, the apostle, was killed with the sword. We're talking a few months after Christianity began. Here, Jesus' disciples, the apostle James, for three years, but he only has a few months of ministry, and he's killed. Peter's in prison. They were going to kill him. I find it interesting that later on, the apostle Paul, going back through Asia Minor, where we're looking right now, and other parts to encourage the church, it says this in Acts 14, 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying to them, So here you're going to encourage the disciples and strengthen them. What would you say to them? Well, here's what Paul and Barnabas said. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I know you guys are suffering, but you haven't seen anything yet. It's going to get a lot worse before you finally go to see the Lord. And the church was encouraged. They were strengthened by such a message. Boy, we need to ask ourselves, do we have the same Christianity that the Bible talks about? In Romans 8, verse 35, Paul says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it's written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. That's the Christianity that Paul knew. For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came to us in Asia, the very area we're talking about now. For we were burdened beyond measure, above strength. We despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, in labors more abundant, in stripes and measures, in stripes above measure, imprisonments often, in deaths often, in Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I spent in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my countrymen, and he goes on. Man. To be a Christian for the Apostle Paul, as he later told young Timothy, he who desires to live God in this life will be persecuted. It's not a might, it's a definite. And he says, Jesus says there, and you're going to go through this tribulation. He said that right from the beginning. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be exceedingly glad, for great is the reward in heaven. 
for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In Matthew 10, Jesus said concerning these last days, Now brethren will deliver brother to death, father his child. Children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. We're going to go through that time of testing. Boy, go home and read today the epistle of Peter. Listen to what he says about that. He says, we greatly rejoice. We greatly rejoice that for now you're going through trials of various types. He says, don't allow yourself to be grieved by them, but quite the opposite. See the preciousness that it's testing of your faith is going to bring you to the praise and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in 1 Peter there that this same suffering is going on throughout the whole world. Be comforted by realizing this isn't just you, but every Christian standing for Christ goes through such difficulties. And you're going to go through them for these 10 days. Not sure exactly what the Lord meant to the Lord at 10 days, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years a day. But it was 95 AD from Domitian all the way through Diocletian who had a 10-year reign from 303 to 313 was his final reign of terror. And after that, Constantine came on the scene, which said he was a Christian. People doubt that. But nevertheless, the persecution of the church ended, at least for a season. Be faithful until death. Turn, if you would, over to Hebrews with me. Hebrews chapter 3. Many uh, say that the book of Hebrews is a proof that the man should get up and make the coffee in the morning. Hebrews. Yeah, I know. Horrible. Horrible. Got to find a Hebrews. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 3. Be faithful until death. Verse 12, Hebrews 3. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily why it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast. How? To the end. While it's said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So here he makes it clear that there are some who will depart from the faith. And he says, don't let it happen. Encourage one another. Why it's called today. Because if, he says there, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me, if you would. Starting there in verse 32. Talking to these saints who are struggling with holding on to their faith. In Hebrews 10, he says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, in other words, you became a born-again believer, you endured a great struggle with suffering, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had companion, you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. 
Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, may receive the promise. So guys, you remember back after you first received the Lord, and boy, you were persecuted, and you lost everything because you chose Christ. And you did it with joy, knowing that, hey, my treasures are in heaven. But now, after years and years of persecution and struggle, you're now beginning to waver. Hey, the same joy you had, the same focus you had on heaven as your reward, you need to keep that focus until death, until the end. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, if you would. There in verse 32. For what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained mercy, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the fires, the violence of fire. Notice this phrase, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised from life again. Others, notice now, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, just of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were what? Slain with the sword. By faith, some were escaped the edge of the sword. By others' faith, they were slain with the sword. They wandered around in sheepskins, goatskins, were destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. These people are rich. You guys may be poor, but let me tell you, you're rich. These people may look like the offscouring of all mankind on this planet, but let me tell you, they're the precious people of heaven, and this world wasn't worthy that they walked upon this planet. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves and earth. And all these things, they obtained a good testimony through faith. But listen, they did not receive the promise. That is, on this planet. Christianity didn't pay off for them on this planet. Christianity for them was a continual life of hardship and struggle on this planet. But they're going to come back to this planet for a thousand year reign of blessing. But God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. But we're all going to graduate together. Now listen to Hebrews 12, verse 1 with me. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the first and the last. Who, for notice here, the joy that was set before him, what? Endured the cross, despising the shame, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. For you've not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. He says, I know your tribulation. What's he saying? I know it personally. (laughs) Jesus was a man acquainted with grief and sorrow. In Hebrews 3, it tells us he went through every kind of trial we could go through that he could now comfort us. I know your tribulations. I know your poverty. Boy, does he know our poverty. He had the glory of heaven and he came into human flesh. And on this planet, he struggled. 
It says in 2 Corinthians 8, he who, be, he who is rich became poor that he might make us rich. I know what it's like to go through planet Earth in poverty. I did. And now he's making it clear here. Lest you get weary in your souls, remember what Christ did. Joy set before him, he endured the cross. Imagine, at any moment in time, all Jesus had to do was whisper, deliver me. Every angel would have came out of heaven. Not one more stripe upon my back. Not one more knell going through my flesh. Not one more second upon the cross. Not one more crude remark from the heathen around me. At any moment, he could have stopped the torture and the pain and the suffering. If you had the power to stop it, would have you? And he's saying, look at Jesus, his entire life. Read Isaiah 53. A man acquainted with grief and sorrow. He looked as if he were a man smitten by God and afflicted. He looked like a man that God hated. He looked like a man that God was against. He looked like a man that all bad luck there ever was in this world went against him from a human perspective. That's the way it looked. And so here you are growing weary, fighting to be, to stand true to Christ. Get your eyes upon Jesus. Consider what he did that you might have spiritual life. And here you also, for spiritual reasons, are suffering in this day and this age. And he says, it's going to be worth it because I will give you the crown of life. In James 1, it says, blessed is the man who endures temptations or trials or these testings. When he's approved, he'll receive that crown of life. Guys, when we get to heaven, there's a special crown for those who have suffered for Christ. It's going to be worth it. He says finally in verse 11 here, he who has an ear, let him hear the Spirit says to the churches. Can you spiritually tune in? Can you hear what God's saying today? He's not just talking to some ancient church. He's talking to us right now. The Lord may be speaking that to you. Guys, in our very near future, we may have to cross these same roads that the saints throughout history have had to cross. And many saints, millions of saints right now upon this earth are having to make those choices every day. For me to live for Christ means great difficulty. Here we are in America. I don't want to suffer for an hour in prayer given Sunday night. I'll miss my TV show. I can't go to church tonight. I've got my sporting events. I can't go to church tonight. I don't want to be at church two and a half hours. That's horrible difficulty upon me. We're unwilling to suffer for praying an hour. Yet these guys will suffer watching their own kids killed, saying, deny Christ or I'm going to kill your three-year-old kid. Okay? Deny Christ or I'm going to kill your eight-year-old kid. Okay? Deny Christ or I'm going to kill your wife. Yet here, we're unwilling to even give a little bit of suffering to pray for those who are suffering, to pray for a world that's damned and go to hell when the keys is in our hands. He said, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, they will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. We can't be responsible for the whole world around us. We can be responsible for our community, for our city, for our state, for our country. 
God's holding us responsible within the sphere of influence he's given us. And he says, if you have an ear, you'll know. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Look in Revelation 21, verse 8. He'll tell you what the second death is. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murder, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The second death is the lake of fire for all of eternity. I find it interesting that on God's list, the very first person that's going to burn in that lake of fire forever is the cowards. Are the people who said, I know Jesus is the way, but I'm not going to pay the price. I'm not going to stand up. I'm going to be a coward. And then the unbelieving. I know the truth of Christ, but I choose not to believe in him. And then you go into the abominable and murders. And he says, those who stand for Christ through such intense persecution will not be touched by the second death. Throughout the ages, Christians, they had two books in their hands. They had the Bible and they had another book called the Fox's Book of Martyrs. If I were to tell you some of the stories in that book, I could make some of you throw up this morning. They're that intense of what happened to the Christians throughout the ages. And Polycarp, part of that story is in there. The Polycarp story is more detailed uh, by Eusebius, a, a church historian, And others. There were other historians that also were there and documented it. But here's another story out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. It says, as the cages were opened, the ferocious animals appeared. A little boy said to his father, will it hurt, father? The father, placing his arm around the lad's shoulder, looked off to the invisible one and said, perhaps for a swift moment. But he that overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Imagine a man with his little boy as they're going to be put to death for their faith. And the little boy saying, Dad, as they look at the ferocious dogs or lions or whatever it was that was going to come after them, saying, Dad, is it going to hurt? And he says, yes, for a swift moment, but then not for eternity. There's a saying that says, If you have been born once, you'll die twice. But if you've been born twice, you'll die once. All of us have been born into this planet once, physically. Everybody got here by being born here. And we're all going to die a physical death. But that's not the death you should be concerned about. There's the second death where you're separated from God for all of eternity in the lake of fire. But if you've been born into this world once, but yet you come to the place to realize you're a sinner and you realize that Jesus needs to be the Lord of your life and you submit yourself to him and believe that through his death and his resurrection that you can be forgiven of your sins and you're born again for the second time, you only die once. Because to be absent from this body, you'll be present with the Lord. And you'll escape the second death. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And those who believe in me right now, you shall never die. Why is that? Because 
We don't ever get separated from God, even for a second. Us as believers, when we're on our deathbed and we're breathing our last, there's not even an elapse, not even a twinkling of an eye of amount of time where we are separated from God, not even for a fraction of a second. We're with the Lord in this physical body, and then we're with the Lord in heaven. Not even a, I can't even describe it. A fraction of a second goes by. We actually never die. We go from life to a greater life with the Lord. The question here today is, is that second death going to affect you? Or are you prepared to stand before God? The Bible says it's appointed every man to die once and then judgment. Are you ready for God to know your works and to stand before him? Let's all bow our heads this morning. Lord, we come before you now and we do ask in Jesus' name that as you have brought some here by your divine power today, some kicking and screaming, some reluctant, some in fear, some timid, some wondering, but they're here. You spoke to them today by the power of your spirit that they are not right with you, that they're not ready for eternity. But you brought them here because you love them and you want to give them that chance. You said many are called, but few are chosen. Few you can choose because they have not chosen you. With every head bowed and eye closed this morning, if you're here today and you're saying, I need to choose Christ today. I am a sinner. I need my sins forgiven. I need the guilt of my sin taken away. I want to be right with God. I want him to write my name in the book of life. I want to leave here with the guilt of my sin gone and leaving here knowing that I am right with God. If I were to die tonight, I would go to heaven. And you're here right now saying, I'm not ready. Just lift your hand right now and say, that's me. Pray for me, Brian. I want to be ready to meet the Lord, and I'm not. Just lift your hand right now. Is there any here? Is there any here saying, that's me? Yes. Timidly, I see a few hands going up. I want Christ to forgive me of my sins. Yes. God bless you. Is there any others? Lord, we thank you for these couple of people, Lord, who said it's them, that you brought them here today, that all of us have been gathered here to learn about you, but they were gathered here today, that you could write their name in the book of life. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name right now that you would hear the cry of their hearts. And right now, those who lifted your hand, just cry out, God, I'm a sinner. I know it. Forgive me. Come into my life. I give myself to you. If you prayed that prayer right now, in just a moment as the church service ends, because of time, I don't have time for to, to call you forward, but as the church service ends, just get up and come forward. We have pastors and elders here that want to talk with you and encourage you, tell you how to get started as a Christian. And Lord, bless all those who have heard your word today in truth and meet us powerfully here tonight, Lord, as we take of communion, have a time to learn in the word and have a time to sacrifice ourselves in prayer before you. Glorify yourself in the midst of your people. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Hey, before you leave, meet somebody around you, get their name, and one thing you can pray for them throughout the week. God bless you all. Have a great week in the Lord. Again, if you need prayer for anything, especially if you pray that prayer, come forward. We want to talk with you and encourage you.